Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who have been called by God. Called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. And out of that statement, we have three core values here at FCBC. What are they, family? Live, love, serve. We are still part of our Be Human movement. This year's theme is it's bigger than you. And on the first Sunday of the year, we talked about courage. And then the second Sunday, we talked about self-doubt. And last week, we talked about sacrifice. And I, wanna, I want to shift and this week. It's still part of the theme. But there are certain scriptures, passages that preachers, we preach because it's easy to preach, especially those that are known. And then there's some passages that we preach, but we don't always preach authentically because to preach it authentically means transparency and honesty in order for the impact to be felt fully. And I want to go to a passage this morning that we shared this morning, but I want to come at it a different way. So if you would turn to the book of Genesis or pull out your phone, your app, Genesis 50. Let's thank God for our music movement ministry, our worship team. A familiar story, Genesis 50, 14 through 21. I'm going to read it from the New Revised Standard Version and then from the Message Bible. Here's how it reads. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. Realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brother said, what if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong that we did to him? So they approached Joseph saying, your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. Now, therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also wept, fell down before him and said, we are here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good. In order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones in this way. He assured them, speaking kindly to them. The Message Bible, here's how it reads. 
After burying his father, Joseph went back to Egypt. All his brothers who had come with him to bury his father returned with him. After the funeral, Joseph's brothers talked among themselves. What if Joseph is carrying a grudge and decides to pay us back for all the wrong we did him? So they sent Joseph a message. Before his death, your father gave this command. Tell Joseph, forgive your brother's sin, all that wrongdoing. They did treat you very badly. Will you do it? Will you forgive the sins of the servants of your father's God? When Joseph received this message, he wept. Then the brothers went in person to him, threw themselves on the ground before him and said, we'll be your slaves. Joseph replied, don't be afraid. Do I act for God? Don't you see you plan evil against me, but God used those same plans for my good. As you see all around you right now, life for many people. Easy now. You have nothing to fear. I'll take care of you and your children. He reassured them, speaking with them heart to heart. Come on, let's pray. God, may the words that you declare on today and the collective meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, you are our strength. You are our rock. You are our redeemer. God, we say thank you. Let your words do their own work, oh God. And our prayer today is that your word will find a resting place in our spirit. For someone today needs to hear your word. To be moved and shaken, stirred and convicted. So God, you do it. You do it. You do it. God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. You take your seat. Many of you know, but when I was 10, I underwent a very traumatic season of my life that ended up shaping the majority of the rest of my life. When I was 10, I had surgery for the removal of a tumor that not only left me with physical scars, but with emotional ones as well. There's a book, and I'll talk about it after service, we'll be reading in the month of February, called Messy Spirituality by Michael Iaconelli. And in a word, he reminds us that no one's journey with God is clean. Our journeys can be messy at times. And in fact, the beauty of it is that God has a way of finding us in the midst of our mess and then doing some remarkable things in our lives. He gives a story of a young woman who was so traumatized at 12 that even though she had grown and had children and even had grandchildren, 
She never developed beyond the 12-year-old girl who had been wounded and damaged. The truth of the matter is that many of us in here today, 30, 40, 50, 60, and 70, and yet we still bear the marks of the damaged child, the wounded adolescent. I remember for me that trauma at 10 kept me in the hospital for almost three weeks. It was a time where you weren't allowed to stay with someone overnight. And for almost three weeks at 10, I stayed in the hospital at night by myself. I remember crying myself to sleep and, and hoping and wishing that my parents would be there. And as I grew in life, I realized that even though I had grown and developed and became a father and a husband, that 10-year-old boy was still in that hospital room and had never left that space of damage and trauma. But something happened to that 10-year-old boy. He found a friend. It's not the friend you might think. That friend came to me in some of those nights and that friend knew just what to say to reinforce my disposition that friend i had stayed with me for years not always present like many of our friends but knew the right time to show up when i thought i needed a friend the most when I was maturing as a teenager and navigating and negotiating at 15 years old, the death of my grandfather, that friend showed up and helped me to make sense in ways that reinforced what I felt. When I went away to college and things were happening in my life that I did not expect, I thought when my girlfriend got pregnant, who's now my wife, and I felt bad in so many ways, that friend came again and sat with me and let me know that what I was feeling was okay. When I graduated from college and went to graduate school and got married that August after we graduated. I remember being in Durham, North Carolina, dead broke, young, with a two-year-old child and a child on the way. And I had all sorts of feelings. And just when my feelings were reaching a crescendo, my friend showed up again. And different points in my life when I was in the hospital again, time and time again, it was always my friend who showed up in hospital rooms and emergency rooms and doctor's visits. But then something was happening. I realized that for some relationships, there's a start date and an end date. Sometimes we have friends that we've had so long, 
We can't imagine losing them even if they no longer serve a purpose. I know we hate to say it that way, but sometimes we even can outgrow some friends because of our own personal transformation. There were some things going on with me about seven years ago, and, and I decided to go see a therapist, preaching, teaching, but needed therapy. Because sometimes people think, they forget that we are not the source, we are a vessel. And this is why Paul said, we have this treasure, the gospel, the gift, the power in earthen vessels, cracked jars. And even though we have this powerful word in our spirit, every now and again, our pain seeps through the cracks. And people get a glimpse of who we are. Began therapy. And without me even saying it, the therapist figured out what my problem was in the first session. It wasn't that I was fixed. But she found out that my problem was this friendship I had. And she said, at some point, you have to release this friend. She asked me, can you tell me your friend's name? My lips were trembling. My eyes were watering. And for the first time, I said my friend's name, anger. Anger was with me in that hospital at 10. Anger was missed me every time I felt people didn't understand me. At times when I needed someone to listen, anger lent its ear and then fueled my energy in directions that were undermining who I was. Anger can be a great friend. It knows what to say. And even gives you the lyrics for your dysfunctional song. Anger has a way of being a companion in calamity, not to get rid of the calamity, but to make you rage at what you're going through. Anger had become a friend and anger has a way of making you never point your frustration in its direction. You end up misplacing it and taking it out on other people. I had learned that when I was sick at 10, I was angry. When my grandfather died at 15, angry. Every time I had to go to a hospital, angry. Every hospital stay, sometimes 10 days, 13 days, 14 days, and for the whole time, angry. When I was 33 years old, I had an epiphany, and I realized that what I was feeling about my grandfather's death was unreconciled anger. I loved him, but I was angry that he left. Yeah. And sitting there in that therapist's office, I realized that I had a toxic friend that was crippling my aspirations and hindering my progress. 
I was angry. I thought of the people that my anger damaged. I thought of the environments that I entered that my anger filled. I thought about the times that my anger tried to be a co-parent with me. I thought about the times my anger tried to be a spouse with me. Anger had me for a long time. Yes, it wasn't that I was an angry person, but there was an angry space that every now and again would manifest itself and rear its ugly head. And sometimes I welcomed it with open arms because anger has a way of making you feel justified about your feelings. Think about those times in your life where you were angry and didn't want to leave anger by itself. You joined it, made friends with it. When anger becomes your traveling companion, your bosom buddy, you have no idea how destructive that anger can be. This sermon is aspirational. It is not a sermon preached as though arrival has taken place. But this sermon, I hope, will give a goal to press toward. What would this story have been if Joseph stayed angry? How different would this scripture be? If Joseph's anger was greater than his grace, what would this story look like if he carried anger with him throughout his painful journey? And yet the writer never gives a glimpse that at any point Joseph made friends with anger. It is aspirational. That is the hope that somebody in here today will cut off your toxic relationship with anger and begin to live again. Anger robs you of joy. It robs you of peace. It robs you of tranquility. It even takes your happy moments and turns them into moments of grief. Anger has a way of seducing the best parts of you so that people then see the worst parts of you. Anger is seductive. Uh, Ambrose Beer said, said, if you speak when you're angry, you'll give the greatest speech that you'll regret. How many times have anger formed the words coming out of your mouth? How many times have, has anger fueled your action? Because anger is not really full grown until you make it actionable. That means you take your anger and you commit acts that are connected to the anger 
you feel. What would this story look like if Joseph was angry? Look at all the moments that Joseph could have been angry. He had a dream. He shared it with his brothers and they hated him for it. He shared it with his parents and they were confused by him. Said his brothers hated him more and more. What if their hatred was accompanied by his anger? They were so enraged with their young brother who dared to believe that somehow there was something great about him that he had seen these visions where the sun, moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to him. And they thought that he was trying to say that he was better than them. Not realizing that all he was doing was sharing what had come to him. And because of their hate and their jealousy, they wanted to kill him. But one of the brothers, Reuben, said, no, we can't kill him. He loved his brother. And so they came up with a plan. Let's just throw him in a pit. Reuben had a plan that once they threw him in the pit, he would come back and get Joseph. But when they threw him in the pit and Reuben left, they decided the other brothers to sell him off. He told them his dream. They hated him, but he did not get angry. They threw him in a pit. Wanted him to die. We get no hint of his anger. Sold to the Ishmaelites. It's a time of servitude. For doing nothing but believing what God showed him. No hint of anger. Given, sold off to an Egyptian leader by the name of Potiphar. And in Potiphar's house, he flourishes. Even though he's bound, flourishing, captive, flourishing, abused by people who should have loved him that led to what seemed like a demise, but flourishing. Maybe Joseph understood how to focus more than most. When things wrong happen to us, we focus on what is the wrong thing. What has been done to us? What has been said about us? What has been acted on upon us? But apparently his focus goes to another place. Maybe it is a clue on how to handle situations that try to birth anger in us. Here's the line. It's subtly woven into the fabric of the story. And God was with him. I know we know that today. But what if we behaved as though we knew it? I know we say it at the right times and in the right ways. But what if we actually behaved as though we knew God was with us? What would our lives look like if we knew God was with us? God being with me means that my energy cannot be devoted to your jealousy. 
God being with me means that my energy cannot be co-opted by your hatred. God being with me means I will not surrender my agency and my gift at the altar of your insanity or your ignorance. God being with me means I understand no matter what happens that God has started something in my life and the God who started it won't stop being until it is brought to completion. It's so hard when you're in the throes of anger to see what is happening. But maybe that is the hope for us today to counter the narratives that are designed to undermine our humanity and begin to fall victim to the beauty of trust. Trust in God. Part of a wife lies on him. It leads to him going to jail, confined again. But even in the confinement quarters of an Egyptian prison, the presence of God still prevails. Because the presence of God, as I said this morning, has a way of tag teaming you. Who's the other person, the thing? Here it is. I've been in those moments when I felt like I was being confined or being taken advantage of. The presence of God that is always with me tags my gifts. And God's presence... Plus, your gifts transforms prisons into stations for prophecy. Oh, you're going to get this in a second. He's in prison, but presence and gift ain't go nowhere. Bound him, but you can't bind God's presence. Bind him, but you cannot bind God's gifts. <clears throat> That's why folk don't understand who try to work against you. And the harder they work, the higher you rise. The more they try to undermine you, the stronger you get because you can't stop what God has started. Oh, in jail, gifts reveal themselves. Oh, back up for a second. Wait a minute. Hold on. You don't fully know the enormity of your giftedness until someone tries to hold you captive. It is as if the binding is a space of permissiveness that allows your gift to shine and flourish. Had him bound. And he thought he had kinship, Trey, when he found a cupbearer with him and a baker. He thought their kinship was in the fact that the cupbearer had a dream and the baker had a dream and he also had dreams. But their common denominator would not be the dream, it would be the manifestation of a new gift interpretation. Oh my God. He went in a dreamer, but found the gift of interpretation in prison. Oh my God, you missed that. They had dreams. And, and, and Joseph started interpreting. He told the cupbearer, listen, listen, your dream suggests that you'll be restored to the place of position and privilege and power that you once had with Pharaoh. The baker, he said, your dream ain't that good. In three days, you'll be dead. Your head will be on a spike, pale, impaled. The birds will eat away at you. And both interpretations were accurate. The cupbearer 
was restored, the baker was killed, and the ones whose dreams he interpreted, cupbearer moved on, baker dead, but he was still in prison. In prison with the presence. Oh God, hold on. I mean, how captive are you really? When the power and presence of God are with, I mean, who really is holding you? When the presence of God is on your side. I wish I had somebody in here today who could testify. Talk about me, yes. Try to stop me, yes. But you can't find the presence of the almighty God who is weaving God's way in my spirit. One year, he sits there with the presence. Two years, he sits there with the presence. Because here's what happens. If you're patient and trust the presence, the power, and your gift, there will be a day when God will put you in the bright lights to make your debut so folk can see who you are. Pharaoh had a dream. And he couldn't understand the dream. He saw seven cows full. And then he saw seven cows that were skinny and bony. And he saw the seven sickly cows consume the seven healthy cows. And then he had another dream about a bundle that was yielding powerful crops, grains, and another uh, bundle of grain and crops that were not. And those bad crops consume the good ones. And he sent out for all the magicians and all the sorcerers who could interpret it, but no one could interpret it. Watch this. The cupbearer stepped out of his role as cupbearer and became advisor. You'll get that later on. He said, hey, when I was in jail, there was this brother who was able to interpret my dreams. Pharaoh said, where? Still in jail. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Pit, captivity, Potiphar's house, jail, but all with the presence. Because there will come a day when no matter how people attempt to confine you, can I get churchy? Your gifts will make room for you. Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, bring him. He comes, Pharaoh tells him his dream, Joseph interprets the dream, and then Joseph says, look, this means that for seven years, you're going to have plenty, and then you're going to have seven years of famine, but during these seven years of plenty, you need to store up in preparation for the famine. Pharaoh is so convinced, watch this, he then says, okay, um, Joseph, you second in command. He gives him his ring, puts garments on him, tells everybody, do whatever Joseph tells you. Watch this. I wonder would elevation have been so smooth had he stayed angry? Uh, hold on, hold on. He ain't angry in the pit. He ain't angry with the Israelites. He ain't angry... In Potiphar's house, he ain't angry in jail. 
There's some folk who would have looked at his situation and felt sorry. That's because they ain't factor God into the equation. He goes from being despised to becoming necessary. <laughs> oh my God, you, you missed that. Hated and became necessary. This is why you gotta tell some folk, stay mad if you want. But if you just hang on a little while longer, you'll see what God is about to do for you through me. Oh God, y'all missed that. That's why you gotta let folks, if you stick around in the circumference of my giftedness, you just might feel the overflow of what God is doing in my life. Oh, I wish I had somebody in here today who could testify. Look at your neighbor and tell them, neighbor, just find a good seat close to me because when the gifts start tipping and the overflow starts happening you could be the benefactor because you were sitting next to the right person at the right time in the right season is there anybody here who can testify I just want the overflow of my neighbor that's why I can celebrate with you that's why I can rejoice with you. Because when God starts working in your life, on your street, in your house, on your block, if I'm in the atmosphere, <laughs> hold on, I'm out, we gotta go, listen. But here's how the story is good. He's elevated and oversees the storage of the excess. <laughs> I wish I had time. He oversees the storage of the seven year excess. So that then he would oversee the distribution of the resources. Y'all missed that. Because when the famine hit, his daddy his mama and the brothers who hated him found themselves in the famine but they had no idea that the distributor of the resources lived in their own house grew up in their own place they had no idea that he would be in position watch Joseph said to his brother, I'm going to cut to the chase. They don't really know it's him. Because it's amazing how you forget folk, you counted off as dead. When he finally shows who he is, when he calls for them to come to Egypt, they realize that his position was their breakthrough. Wait. Because Joseph knew that it was bigger than him. He was positioned. Oh man, I don't understand why. He was positioned for their breakthrough. You don't understand that? Position for their breakthrough. 
You mean to tell me that there's some folk in my life that God has elevated for my breakthrough? There's some folk in your life who opened doors for you to walk through. Who made a way for you to pass through. He gets them, takes care of them, and his daddy dies. Joseph and his brothers bury his father. But in the back of their minds, they think he's angry. What is he going to do? Now that daddy's dead. Maybe he was just keeping us alive until daddy died. They go to their brother with a request from their dad. Don't treat your brothers the way they treated you. Don't let your anger write the next chapter. The brothers say, please don't hold a grudge. We'll be your slaves. Don't kill us. Oh, I could imagine, Maurice. In, in that moment, Joseph must have smiled. Said he began to weep. Maybe he, he was weeping because his brothers actually thought he would treat them the way they treated him. Weeping because he realized what he had been positioned for. Weeping maybe because he was glad that he did not let anger become his best friend. And he smiles and weeps and says, oh, you have nothing to fear. This was always bigger than y'all. Now, this and I got to go. I want to disrupt some theological assumptions for some of y'all today. That some come from this very story because we misread, especially in the Hebrew, something different is said. We've taken this text and we say things like, there's purpose in your pain. God will take you from the pit to the palace. That would assume that the pit was God's plan. Mm -mm. When you look at the message Bible, Joseph said, y'all had a plan for evil. Watch this. But God took your plan. See, y'all missed that. You had a plan, but God reacted to your plan and confiscated your plan. It wasn't your purpose, but it was all God's providence. Oh, I hope you hear that. There are some things that are horrible that happen to people, by people. Don't tell no mother whose child has been molested and raped. That's God's purpose. Don't tell no family member 
the killing of your father over five dollars was God's purpose but I learned that God can take that confiscate it and redeem it and make something powerful come out of it in other words when evil makes a move God got the next move I wish I had somebody in here today the reason why hey I'm out of here I can smile when you try to destroy me it's because I know in my spirit God's got the next move every time you try to undermine my movement God's got the next move can I give you this the only way I've learned in my 49 years that I can be angry with your move is if I forget God's move. Oh, that means that I don't have to remain angry. And the only way my anger would be justified if I didn't believe that God's presence was real. But because God's presence is real, I don't celebrate your move. I celebrate what God is about to do. That means when I get up in the morning, I wake up with anticipation and holy expectation that God's got another move. Look at your neighbor and tell him, neighbor, God has another move. It doesn't matter what it looks like right now, but God's got another move. Look at your neighbor and tell him, neighbor, can you celebrate the next move of God? I've seen what he did yesterday, but God's about to make a new move. Is there anybody here who can testify that God got another move and another move and another move? In fact, every time I turn around, he keeps on making a way. Every time I turn around, he keeps on opening new doors. Oh. That's why every now and again, you got to smile and look at your enemies and tell them what you meant for evil. God took it and made it work in my favor because sooner or later, he's gonna turn some stuff around. In your life, is there anybody here who's waiting for the turnaround? In your life, he's turning around my mind. He's turning around my spirit. He's turned around my family. He's turning around for me. Come on, stand on your feet today. I will never let anger find a resting place in my soul again I trust God too much and I've seen God move too much and I'm not the only one you've seen God move too much to get up angry go to work angry come home angry and let anger be the filter by which you enter relationships no God has been too faithful for me to remain bitter 
I've got too many testimonies of God's next move. Seen too many times where God has shifted things. How do you sing about it but not believe it? How do you talk about it but not believe it? Right now, God is making a move. And it may not be the way you want it. Joseph went from the pit to captivity to Potiphar's house, two years in prison, and then the debut. Maybe he understood sooner or later. God's gonna. How many believe that today? Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, Support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.